Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Rock and Ramble Podcast. You are here with your host, Andrea. And Victoria. And today, we are coming at you with Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Whoop, whoop. What? <laughs> the boss. So let's just jump right into it. Bruce Springsteen was born September 23rd, 1949, so he had a birthday not too terribly long ago. And like we said, he's from Long Branch, New Jersey. Bruce has two younger sisters, Virginia and Pamela. And was it Pamela took pictures for three of his albums? Or Virginia or both of them? I I think it might have been both because I wrote wrote it down that way too oh we have the same notes and everyone I forgot I was like you yeah, know what I wrote we do it have down the same way. notes yes <laughs> wow everything you're saying matches oh, up gosh. with what I'm saying <laughs> yeah I forgot we started sharing our notes I was like it's weird yeah. I have it that same way too um <laughs> which let me see you wrote this <laughs> yeah like three weeks ago <laughs> I know I know you guys we we've been putting this off because we've just been super super busy and you know with trips and kids and birthday parties and Halloween is coming up and that takes time it's just (laughs) a lot but we wanted to get this done and we have a special um, Halloween bonus episode coming out next week that we're really excited about just in time for spooky season so we'll get into that um, here in a little bit, but yeah. Um, so it was Pamela. It was Pamela. <laughs> <laughs> and back to the sisters. Sorry. Okay, so the, Pamela. Yeah. <laughs> Pamela took pictures for three of his albums, which is really cool. Like if your brother, I mean, I would be stoked to do that. Yeah. If, I. You know, my brother was Bruce Springsteen. I will say there's a modern connection in just in that way only. Um, Casey Musgraves, who I'm a huge fan of, her sister um, takes her album cover pictures and like for the inserts and um, the album photo shoots and her sister's talented also. Because like, um, well, I mean, I don't know if you know all the album covers, but I feel like the most popular one is the Golden Hour one, which is not her most recent one, but the one before um, mm-hmm. Starcrossed. And it's the blue background, the sky and just like a close up of Casey Musgraves face. And it has like a hint of a fan. Anyway, it's a um, very good pictures. On Starcross, I don't think her sister took the pictures, but her family is also just like creative because her mom does like art and sells art and stuff too. So I don't know. Just That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Anyway. Family of creatives. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of being creative, so Bruce Springsteen, he attended Catholic school. <laughs> And uh, his creativity clashed with the nuns and their strict rules that they had at his school. And he would get in trouble a lot uh, at school because he was uh, more uh, rebellious, I guess, would be a good word for that. Yeah, I think... uh, I think that's, like, just mm -hmm. a popular thing with, like, a lot of the musicians we've covered is, like, they just, it's like that, like, can't sit still or, like, it, it's, it doesn't help yeah, they them. Don't, you know, it, like, kind of is more really, confining uh, fit than in. anything. Yeah. Yeah. But he does claim that his Catholic upbringing is influential in his music. He says it's even more influential than his political beliefs. Um, and he's released some traditional, like, Irish Catholic hymns as well. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Um, <laughs> he did go to a public high school. And again, he was a bit of a loner. He just kind of stuck to his guitar. And he was like, you know, growing up inspired by all the, you know, the, the standards, I would say, like the Beatles, Elvis Presley, Frank, Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. Um, and his mom was a secretary and his dad kind of bounced around from job to job. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he drew inspiration from the strained relationship that he had. Mm -hmm. with his dad Mm -hmm. and his mom I thought this was really sweet his mom took out a loan to buy him a $60 guitar Mm. and he still has it 
Yeah, like that, that is really sweet. That guitar that started his his mm-hmm. journey on this. And I feel like it's, you know, always the parents like, oh, just, you know, I'm going to give you this when you're so young or whatever. And then mm-hmm. you start, uh, and you're like, that becomes like your prized possession. Yeah. So I think... I thought that was really cool that he still has that. I think it's... a a good thing and obviously we weren't there for any of these people growing up we just know like the facts that we research but it does seem like more of the bigger artists that we are covering and just like in general like Mm -hmm. obviously pick it up kind of young or not obviously but pick it up kind of young and it is a lot of times just like a gift or something like that but it's not Mm -hmm. like usually that we've heard like this person was pushed by their parents like you're gonna learn music or you have to sit through piano lessons or anything like that like I think that's probably you know some parenting lesson there is just like you know getting them something cool and it's like up to them how far they want to take it how much they want to get into it or like you know where that kind of interest and passion might lead them like how the Van Halen brothers originally got their other instruments and then kind of naturally gravitated to yeah the instruments they yeah i mean i feel like that's kind of like the opposite of like the parents how you were saying like oh you're gonna play you're gonna be a musician most of the parents were like no that's probably not a good idea (laughs) yeah go to school (laughs) like stay (laughs) in school um but bruce springsteen i didn't know this about him at age 19 he failed the physical exam for the draft and because mm-hmm. he was drafted to fight for the, in the vietnam war and he had had a concussion from a motorcycle accident like a couple years prior and that along with his behavior <laughs> made him unacceptable to serve and so that i mean obviously his life would have been drastically different had that not happened right. so right yeah Um, And after dodging the draft, his family moved to California, but he stayed behind in New Jersey to pursue music. And I thought this was also really cool. He lived in a surfboard factory after his family moved. (laughs) That is cool. I didn't know they had surfboard factories in New Jersey, but I guess they're on the coast, so it makes sense. (laughs) Um, That does seem surprising. Mm -hmm. In 1972, he signed a management contract with Mike Appel, and he was then signed to Columbia Records, which so many of these artists start out with Columbia Records, mm-hmm. um, just a huge one. And he gathered some friends, including Clarence Clemens, whom he called Big Man, and they formed the E Street Band. And their, I would say like their first few albums weren't really well received. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one just kind of bombed because people thought, here's just like another folkish singer. This is like another Bob Dylan, like mm-hmm. been there, done that. And then his second one was re- well received by critics, but the songs were so long and they were kind of weird and very lyric driven. And so it didn't really fit the, the standard for radio, mm-hmm. um, and so it kind of took them a little time to find their groove. But um, after two of the members of the E Street Band left, then Bruce put an ad in the paper, which we've talked about so many times, like yeah. bands finding their their members in the in the paper, which is just so funny now. But they did find replacements. And one of his longtime friends, uh, Stephen Van Zandt, joined the band, and so did... Patty Scalfa, I think Scalfa is how you say her name. (laughs) Um, She also joined the band. And he, this is like right before the um, Born to Run tour, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and so um, he, at that time, he married actress, model Julian Phillips. And so they're together, but... We'll see something happening. Also, I didn't realize I knew who that was. Um, When I had looked her up, I was like, oh, I've seen her. And I can't remember now what she was in, but I was like, oh, she's familiar. I had no idea. I I have no idea who was or Oh, so she was like a real actress? Yeah, yeah, not like um, ZZ Top's um, Dusty Hill's (laughs) wife. (laughs) Um, I know. But, um, yeah, I... 
he's one of those like I know who he is and I know mm-hmm. several songs from him and like definitely distinguishable voice but um, I don't know anything about his like personal life or like, connection who he's connected to in real life or anything like that yeah but, or before this obviously but yeah well because they have such a large band I thought it would be kind of cool to just pick out a few members not all of them because again right quite a few um but a few like key players and just kind of give a little background on them because they kind of I mean they all have really cool stories but uh Patty she was born and raised in New Jersey too Mm -hmm. and she worked as a busker with Susie Tyrell and Lisa Lowell in a group called Trickster and so for those of y'all that know, buskers are like the street performers, like the singers that, you know, put their little hat out there for tips and stuff. And yeah. so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Quick little uh, side note, mm-hmm. though, because I, maybe this is just me being really ignorant. I did not, I'd never heard of that term. So when you and really? I and Lane, when we went to New York and you were like, I want to see more buskers, I did yeah. not know what you were talking about at first until you were like... I thought there would be more people performing and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, because also mm-hmm. Andrea was on a mission to find rats. So I oh, was yeah. like, what are we looking for now? We're looking for rats, pigeons and buskers. Like, I don't understand. And then you explained it. And I was like, oh, OK. I, I didn't know if we were like going for more animals and I just never heard of or something. <laughs> but the weird thing is, so you mentioned it. That was what, like a week and a half ago or a week ago or something. Mm-hmm. And. We're finally watching Ted Lasso, and in sometime in season two, he says, like, I don't know, telling the boss, like, oh, y'all, y'all's buskers over here are so great. I was telling Pedro, I was like, busker. I was like, I had never heard that word before. And I now know that word it's now. like, oh. And maybe everybody else knew that, and I didn't. I just, I thought they were just like performers. I don't know. I didn't have a special vocabulary word just for those kind of performers. street performers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, anyway. first off, <laughs> Good. I'm glad you're finally watching Ted Lasso because I've yeah. been like begging you to watch it. It's so <laughs> no. funny. It's so funny. I just keep watching it. Okay. Um, <sighs> I love Roy Kent. He's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, really? I feel like Higgins uh, and Coach Beard are my favorite. And maybe Sam. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. So keep watching. Okay. Um, and... Uh, okay, then let me give a little background on this. We won't like dive deep, deep into the New York trip, but okay. My five and a half year old son, he really wanted me to send him a picture of a giant rat because New York is notoriously known for like their dog sized rats, right? And so I was like, oh, sure, I'll send you a picture because I'm sure we're going to see a ton of rats. Dang it, if we didn't see like one rat. The whole time. And two. it was like a normal... Okay, two rats. They were both normal size, though. I don't know what anybody's talking about. These giant rats. I don't think that they're... What are they? Rodents of unusual size. The rouses in, uh, in the uh, Princess Bride. Right? I don't remember that. Um, oh! Yeah, so, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> the rodents of unusual size. Um, anyway, we didn't see many of those. We saw like one flock of pigeons and i ran through it and i made them take a video of oh, me I gotta like a slow that. motion video <laughs> of me running through these pigeons which actually turned out to be really cool because at the end like a pigeon flew by close to the camera and it looks really cool you remember seeing that mm-hmm. that's really neat i'll, I'll upload um, it on our instagram I'll, I'll find some song to put that's with okay it. that's okay <laughs> some um, some cool song for it this it's, it's fine it's fine so Pigeons and rats were a bust. And then buskers, yeah, I thought for sure I would be, because in the movies, there's like always like street performers and stuff. And there were like some, there was like a cello player under a bridge and the acoustics were really cool. Um, there was a violinist in the subway, like the really nice subway on mm, the Upper East Upper Side. side one. <laughs> um, but other than that, like the only time I saw street performers was in Times Square and it was like, it was like big performances. It wasn't like the, you know, like uh, everyday busker. It seemed like they were like a group and they were like a dance group and they weren't really that great. I was like, uh. and maybe we just weren't work- walking on like the right area. But mm-hmm. I guess I was just expecting to see like, like scatting, like, you know, and like, <laughs> you know, like guys 
playing piano. You know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's that's what I thought of when I thought of Busker. So um, that's funny. I bet that Trickster, the Busker group, I bet they were really good. I would have loved to see them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet they were. Um, I bet they were. So maybe they weren't that good, though, because Patty joined the East Street Band in 1984 and left Trickster. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But she joined just a few days prior to the... It was the Born in the USA tour, not Born to Run. I think I said Born to Run earlier, but Born in the USA tour. And interesting fact, fun fact, is that she had a fling with actor Tom Cruise after the tour. Mm -hmm. And it obviously didn't last, and then she eventually hooked up with Bruce Springsteen, and he divorced his wife. Um, I guess they had been having trouble in paradise. I don't know. Uh, so they, she had their first child in 1990. They got married in 1991. They had two more kids. And then just recently, they became grandparents. So that's mm. exciting for them, and they mm-hmm. still live in New Jersey. So exciting times for the Springsteen family (laughs) yeah um moving on to Stephen Van Zandt uh he was born in Massachusetts but he moved to New Jersey when he was only seven and he started playing music again at a very young age he got kicked out of high school for having long hair so that's crazy that was that's like yeah uh, remember um, oh my gosh, I think Leonard Skinner. Remember, they always got like, yeah. in trouble for like their long hair for and, having long hair. Yeah, it's just funny the things. Cause like now I know I'm not trying to sound like an old geezer, but like I am always amazed my day. that people the girls are getting away with like crop tops in school. Oh and yeah, I'm like wow. Oh, yeah, like I remember I was always so mad because I feel like my arms are really long for my torso. <laughs> So, like, shorts and skirts, like, they had to be, like, two, what is it, like, two inches below your longest mm-hmm. finger at your side. And I was like, damn it, I have really long arms. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had to wear, like, really, I felt like really long things. And now it's like, oh. Yeah, you and I both, whole belly we both dress pretty modestly in high mm-hmm. school, I would say. For high school girls, we both dress very modestly. And I remember one time my mom got called because they said my sh- my skirt was too short. Do you remember, mm-hmm. um... I forget what she taught, but Miss Ingram. Miss Ingram. Oh, her? is she the pals lady? I don't. I never had her, but I think I know who oh, you're talking was about. Pa- yeah, I think it was pals. Um, I never had her either, but she like brought me into her room in the morning and was like, "Your skirt's too short," and she made my mom. Or it wasn't the skirt; it was that it was like a denim skirt or something that I had on, which again tells you the time. <laughs> but the the slit in the denim skirt was too short. It didn't uh I guess my fingertips past the slit or something so my mom had to bring me clothes and I was like really me like, <laughs> look look around lady like yeah I am the least offender like mm-hmm. the lesser offender here but now yeah girl girls and guys can wear whatever they want yeah. and I'm not saying it's, it's a crazy. bad thing I just think it's funny like oh someone had their hair was too long and it was like yeah a huge deal and- I'm not trying to shame crop tops no <laughs> no 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 no. i get what you're saying it's just it's gotten like kind of more and more everything is acceptable mm-hmm. so from hair to shorts anyway let's move on yeah sorry. um so stephen van zandt oh this is really interesting as a teenager he was involved in a vehicle accident where his head smashed through the windshield and that's it's not funny i don't know why you're laughing that's awful because the he way got... you set that up <laughs> I know. (laughs) So his head smashed through the windshield. He got like all these scars on his head. And in order to cover them, he started wearing hats and large bandanas. But that eventually became like his signature look. And Mm -hmm. so now everybody knows. um, I almost said Ronnie Van Zandt. Stephen Van Zandt Mm -hmm. um, is known for always having like the oversized bandana on his head. Um, So that's it's interesting because that's. That's the reason why, in case you always wondered, like, why does he wear that? Mm-hmm. Um, so he met Bruce Springsteen in 1965, and they became close friends. And then he officially joined the E Street Band in 1975, so 10 years later. And in addition to his musical career, he's also an activist and an actor. And I didn't watch the series, but it is on our list to watch. Um, he had a recurring role as Silvio Dante on The Sopranos. 
Oh. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I will have to watch that. Yeah, I was like, have you have y'all watched that series? No, I'm gonna have to send you a picture of the lists I have of just like TV shows, like <laughs> only. It's like three pages long. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, I know The Sopranos. Obviously, it was like a really good show mm-hmm. during its time, so that it is on our list of ones. So now I'm gonna be on the lookout for Silvio Dante and be like, oh, I know who that is. <laughs> so. Um, last but not least, the one that I chose is Clarence Clemens. He was known as the big man. Um, he was born in 1942 and he started playing saxophone at the age of nine. So again, just an early, um, really talented person. And he played alto sax, baritone, and tenor sax. And, uh, he again was just pretty large dude 6'4 240 pounds and not only he was was he very talented musician but he was also involved heavily in football and he even tried out for the Dallas Cowboys and he was supposed to have a trial with the Cleveland Browns but he was involved in a car accident that ended his football career um which Mm. you know obviously must have been devastating for him but it gave him the opportunity to pursue playing sax and ultimately led him to the E Street Band, so it kind of worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but also something interesting that I had no idea was that from 1962 to 1970, he worked in New Jersey as a counselor for emotionally disturbed children. Man, that was this guy just kind is of like out so well-rounded. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but what's also interesting... Um, so he's he's got like this huge portfolio of musical collaborations, everyone from The Grateful Dead to Lady Gaga, which again is just like he's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, most notably, he joined uh, the E Street Band in 1972 and he was with them until he, he passed away in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that you were talking about how well-rounded he is, it's interesting that you say that because he actually, he had like five wives, not at the same time, but like he was married like five times. So I'm like, what the heck? Like maybe he, he sounds like he was like super busy and all this stuff. So I'm wondering, that was probably like, you know, he just wasn't like, like available a yeah. lot, but cause he sounds like a great, great person, but obviously we don't know uh, yeah. what. I mean, he's got athletic talent. Like musical talent musical and like what like what compassion s- compassion but like therapy skills or mm-hmm. you know what i mean and um but i guess he was pretty busy i mean five weddings it's a lot to plan so. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know i know but i i was like oh wow five times but yeah i mean given everything that he was doing seems like maybe that was it he just didn't have time to be married so who knows we're just speculating here so yeah I'll let you take over um, and talk about uh, some of the, oh, kind of the early years forming the band and then go into the discography. Cool. Okay. Um, so in 1969 to 1977, 71, oh my gosh, um, Bruce was in a band called Child and then they changed their name to Steel Mill. I feel like every time I want to say it out loud, I end up saying Steel, Steel Mill. Meal. Deal, uh, you know what I'm saying. Um, and yeah. that one included Stephen Van Zandt, who you just covered. Um, but in 1972, mm-hmm. he was introduced to John Hammond, the same guy who signed Billie Holiday, Aretha Franklin, and Bob Dylan. So he was like, you know, pretty um, respected, pretty mm-hmm. influential. And yeah. yeah, so that kind of got all this going. So I'm going to go over a few of his albums. He has so many albums so many it was insane like he's oh my gosh this man has talk about busy yeah talk about busy and so much to say like because he writes his songs and they're all they're so lyric driven they are i love it they they all a lot of them not all a lot of them have such similar themes so Mm -hmm. it's not all totally out of left field or anything but he just right you know puts him in different ways or has different tones to him and things like that but um yeah. so we're not gonna cover n- nearly any i mean <laughs> we're not gonna cover nearly all of them um we're just gonna cover a few of them <laughs> nearly any yeah okay 
So the first album we'll, we'll talk about is the um, album Born to Run. And this was his third album. It was released in 1975, and it, it did pretty well. It reached number three on the Billboard 200. And like you mentioned or alluded to earlier, that his first couple albums were not really well received because they were pretty weird. Um, this mm-hmm. album was like their turning point. So the two previous albums hadn't done really well. But after this album dropped, he found out that his manager owned the rights to the songs and was getting rich off of him and the band. So he sued Appel, Appel, right? Um, yeah, I think Appel. And he countersued to stop him from making new music. So from 1975 to 1978, Bruce Springsteen did not release an album because he did not want to make any more money for Appel. And we've talked about this before, about people taking advantage of the artist or, or even mm-hmm. like making it seem like, oh, just sign this contract. And I'm sure there's so much fine print that people skip over or don't understand fully. Right. And especially if you're just like eager and happy to be signed. And, and you're young and, and it's naive, exploiting so yeah. the, the person and it it's terrible. But um, mm-hmm. it makes sense. And especially there's definitely artists who have um, – really had a problem with that where they're more upset by it i'm sure no artist is like super pleased about it but it seems like yeah. a few more um are like you know sticking to their guns and like well no now i'm not gonna you know contribute anymore or participate in the way that's gonna make it better for you and you know good on them yeah but yeah so he had yeah and that must that. have been just like super super frustrating to so he releases this third album finally they're like being well received and people are loving them and then oh here's a lawsuit now you can't make music for three years yeah (laughs) what yeah it's just Uh, especially like you said like they're doing so well and a lot of people i realize it wouldn't be their sophomore album but a lot of people were probably eagerly anticipating like "Ooh, what's next what's coming next and you would think you know you'd want to kind of ride that wave because as we've seen no one knows when it's going to end or like if you're going to have a one hit album and then everything else, like, just kind of drops down, mm-hmm. like, you know, hit-wise, not necessarily quality. Um, but his next album was Darkness on the Edge of Town. It was the first one he released after the lawsuit was settled um, in 1978. It reached number five, and his comeback in 1978 was huge. He started selling out arenas. And we, probably many people listening know this already, if you're listening to a Bruce Springsteen episode, he is so well known for his tours, for his performances. Like, he yeah. is just full of energy, and it's just, he commands the stage, and yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, they said it, I mean, it's like, I've heard it described as like a spiritual experience. I yeah, I, I saw that too. It. Yeah. It sounds like it was, like, I mean... In the videos and even just like, you know, small comments here and there, more like like the little forums. I won't say it was like, you know, anything official, but it did seem like everyone who had commented that they'd been there was like, it was Mm -hmm. a once in a lifetime kind of experience. Even if you've been to other great shows, like a Springsteen show just stands out completely from the rest. Um, And like, was it, I could be making this up, but did I read that he, like his shows would, he would put on like a four hour set. I want to say it was super long. I don't remember if it was four hours, but I know it was really long. Which is very uncommon. Very uncommon. Yeah. I feel like, and that's that's like the dream, right? If you have someone, especially if it's, you know, super fans that like you don't want it to end or you're like, God, I hope he plays this song. And And I bet it felt like 10 minutes if you were there in that live show. I bet it felt like 10 minutes if you were there. Especially um, if you're there for like, the tour of a single album or a certain album mm-hmm. and you're like oh i hope he plays this song or this song or this song from different albums and i would imagine in four hours you can get to kind of a lot you know <laughs> like yeah a lot yeah. more than that one album well and i think yeah there was a lot of talking to and him mm-hmm. um you know kind of not not preaching but kind of preaching like um almost giving like a sermon <laughs> yeah um i don't know i i know we you touched on this earlier too and we'll see it through his whole discography, but his his songs really are so lyric-driven and tell stories. And 
I found like listening through the albums, I did not listen to every single one. I started in the beginning and I think I made it up to like his 10th and I can't remember the name of it, but I remember being like, okay, okay, I've gotten a lot. I've gone pretty far. And um, I will say like there's a couple anim- albums that stood out to me as my personal favorites. And mm-hmm. after that, I was like, okay, it's a, it's a good album after that. But I just was like, I have, I found, I found my favorites and I want to stick with these. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but the next album was The River and he released that October 17th, 1980. And it was his first number one album. So mm-hmm. luckily after that whole, you know, little dry spell after the lawsuit, he did come back with like also big hits and it doesn't stop here either. Um, right. And so one of the songs, the title track, The River, um, was about his sister's unplanned pregnancy and rush to get married. And it's a, they're just such good songs. But what I think in listening to the albums, I found that I really enjoyed reading the lyrics on each song as I was listening to it. And then after that, I knew which songs I wanted to go back to and listen again without looking at something. But mm-hmm. some, some of his songs, um, his voice is harder for me to understand without already knowing what he's going to say. Does that make sense? Yeah. So no, I know what you mean, yeah. I had to like look at the lyrics as I'm listening, and then I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And so that way, on my next listen, I'm like, okay, I know what he's saying, and I'm like more yeah. lost in the story the second to, time like, around. The meaning, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. I love it. I love it. Um, mm-hmm. And on that album is also Hungry Heart, which is important because it was his first top ten hit. And he actually wrote it for the Ramones, mm. which seems i don't know maybe random yeah it, i would not have yeah. connected those two but um he ended up keeping it for himself obviously and it's a good thing usually because... they do i yeah we've seen that quite a bit like oh i'm gonna write a song for this artist and then ooh, it's actually pretty good we're gonna get yeah we're just gonna keep that yeah and then it turns into like this big hit <laughs> well i always think that's crazy with other even like modern day artists um they have mm-hmm. like some people some artists have so many songwriters on songs and it's like wow why what made you feel like i can give this one away or i can't give this one away or you know i wonder mm-hmm. like when that decision happens because it's got to be hard especially if you're a songwriter giving it to an artist who doesn't have ties to it like i know some artists do you know have some edits here and there so they can get writing credits but it's like if a song means so much to you or maybe it doesn't but it seems like it would be a hard thing to be like now you go out and make it your own and sing it and I feel like I'd get possessive, like, but this is my story. Or like, right, you know, right. and, and that I feel like I would not have a good time with that part of it. No, I, yeah, I understand what you're saying. But, okay, so that brings me to one of my favorite albums. I, I told you I had two. Um, yeah. One of them is Nebraska. Oh, my goodness. I love this album. I adore it. Um, mm-hmm. It is. The sound of it is so neat to me. And then, like, I found out a couple things about it after the fact. But I, I immediately was drawn to it um, after the first listen. I was like, okay, we're redoing that one again. And um, so the album was not toured because of, like, how dark and serious it was. It just it was not a tour mm-hmm. kind of album. And right. One thing that's interesting, and I don't know if this is why, because, you know, I don't have the ear for like, oh, this is the part or this, you know, composition Mm -hmm. or arrangement or mixing is the reason why I like it. But the demo recordings for this album ended up becoming the versions on the album because they couldn't reproduce that same sound. So he was, Mm -hmm. he created this during a very isolated time and was kind of struggling with some stuff like personally, mentally and all that. And he kind of went off on his own and just very much just the basics recorded this as a demo for, you know, mm-hmm. sending it off and being like, hey, what can we do with this? I w- I, I'm working on this. How can we incorporate this into the next album? And the producer and then was like, I, we can't. Like they kept trying to have make it have that feel and it just could not be re redone so Mm -hmm. his demo recordings ended up on the album and the title track nebraska is about a murderer charles starkweather um, from lincoln nebraska who had killed 10 people in an eight-day period and 
that brings like how many is that just two now between Hall and Oates and Nebraska that we've had where it's like oh yeah tied to killers yeah that I found that like oh yeah that course. is interesting yeah because Hall and Oates was like some son of Sam yeah was supposedly inspired by their yeah and I guess there's a movie also about Charles Starkweather or about his oh. what he did um but the lyrics match up to it um he killed 10 people in an eight-day period and then there's another awesome. song um related to death on nebraska the album is called johnny 99 so it's about a guy who gets pretty drunk um he had a, a i guess let go from a job it says they closed down the auto plant um last month he went ralph went out looking for a job he couldn't find none he got too drunk got a gun and shot the night clerk and now they call him Johnny 99. And I thought it was interesting because when I listened to it the first time, I didn't notice. But then the second listen, I was like, wait, I think that lyric, I thought I just heard that in a different song that I really liked. And there's one line that's repeated in two of the same, I mean, two songs from the same album. And it is, it's this guy is like talking to the judge about like mm-hmm. um, kind of why he did it in a way says, now, judge, judge, I got debts no honest man could pay. The bank was holding my mortgage and taking my house away. Um, now, I ain't saying that made me an innocent man, but it was more than all this that put the gun in my hand. So he's kind of trying to, like, redeem himself, but not completely. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, I was having a hard time, like, like yeah. feeling lost. But that line, I got debts no honest man could pay, is a line from another one of his songs on the album called Atlantic City. And I also really liked that one. Uh. Um, and if you're familiar with Atlantic City or anyone, um, it's like the gambling town on the Northeast. Yeah. Um, in the Northeast. And I, I knew that, but, um, that line is in here also. And in the song for Atlantic City, he's talking to his girl at some point and he's like, um, you know, put your makeup on, fix up your hair, meet me in Atlantic City. And he's saying, well, I got a job and I put my money away, but I got the kind of debts that no honest man can pay. So he's saying, I've been looking for a job, but it's hard to find. There's winners, there's losers, and I'm south of the line. Well, I'm tired of getting caught in the losing end, but I talked to a man last night, going to do a little favor for him. And he also in the beginning refers to um, something that happened with a mafia person in Philadelphia, and it has to mm-hmm. do with Atlantic City also. Um, but it's just like, he's very much, and I think this might come up maybe later on down the line, but he really does take on like the working man struggle in a lot of his songs and very like, you know, blue collar kind of songs. Blue collar, yeah. Um, that was his his whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's a big reason why people connected with him and connected with his music because it was relatable. Yeah, and he he definitely was able to still capture that like even this many albums into you know fame and all that he was still down to earth enough to like be able to relate and understand and sympathize and put it into words effectively um but i just yeah that's it's such a good album and just really interesting songs and um pretty dark and sad (laughs) like not a lot of you know i didn't We'll talk more about this in the bonus episode, the Halloween like mm-hmm. deep cuts. But I didn't realize that murder ballad is a genre of music. Oh. And it is. And I was like, oh, I think I just found like a new obsession. <laughs> obsession. <laughs> murder ballads. It's like it's taking crime true crime and putting it in song form and they're so like those are the kind of songs that usually give me like goosebumps yeah you know because they tell the story and like it very much makes me think of like um like that's uh the light (gasps) that's the night the the lights lights went went out out in georgia yes went out in georgia yeah and i was like i get goosebumps every single time i listen to that song and she's like, you know, little sister don't miss when she points when her, she gun. her gun. Like, yeah. Oh, shit. It was her. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It it's was her. But... Those kind of, of songs that yeah. tell like Even... true stories are amazing. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree. The the true story ones. Yeah. And then also, I mean, I'm even thinking of 
like I guess I'm thinking mostly of like country songs because there's yeah. a lot of murder in country songs. Yeah, that's like a pretty but, common I trope mean, for country songs. Yeah, but. even what is that song that Carrie Under is it Carrie Underwood sing like Two Black Cadillacs? <gasps> oh yeah, something? that's a good one. That one, it's a good one. Yeah, like, even that one is like okay, like yeah. I can I can get on board with that. So uh, that's a whole genre that we need to dive in. Maybe we could have. Well, I guess that kind of is. Let's like do the another Halloween bonus. one. But I was like, let's do. Let's do it. Murder oh, Halloween you know bonus. what? You're gonna. Of uh, course, I find a way to bring up Taylor Swift. Um, no body, no crime is another yes. one, and she did yes. that based on true crime podcasts and movies and exactly. stuff. Exactly. So that one yeah. fits. <laughs> mm-hmm. It absolutely does. Yeah. Those. I mean, these are all very. Very good songs. Yeah. And again, just like the, like, well, a lot of these are like women killing men, but there's also, you know, women killing women and <laughs> men killing. But anyway, um, yeah. there's if you're into like true crime, you could take it a step further and start getting into murder ballads. Yeah. You? And those might be a lot of fiction, which makes me a little more comfortable true crime i i'm oh, yeah. interested but i get very uncomfortable very easily when i go think about it too much do you know what i mean like i kind of That's freak myself feel about, out like, like oh this is real people i don't know if i want to know this i can do true crime to a point but like when it gets into especially like movies when it gets into like religious um like horror films, that's where I have to draw the line. Oh, like, nope, 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 nope. I can't, I can't get into like satanic possession, exorcist type movies. <laughs> I just can't. I can't do that because that stuff is like, no, thank you. I'm just gonna go like splash some holy water myself. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from that because that stuff freaks me out. I don't like it. And most of it, I'm like, that would never happen. Like that could never happen. But just. Creepy, oh. creepy, creepy stuff. I think I psych myself out. And I like horror movies. And I'm okay with the religion ones. Like, I, mm-hmm. they scare me in, like, a different way. But yeah. I think that's, I, you know, I love being scared. <laughs> it's a problem. And yeah, that's, like, I'm like, oh, I could see that happening. Like, that's that's why I scare myself is because I'm like, okay, yeah. that looks crazy. But I yeah. could see that happening. <laughs> that's, like, so the it, opposite <laughs> of you. But I, like, enjoy it in, like, the <laughs> worst way where I'm like, oh, God. Do you remember that class I took? I think it was my senior year, and I just, like, needed another elective. And so I took magic, rituals, and religion. <laughs> no, I don't remember that. <laughs> Yeah. And there was a whole, like, we did a whole thing on, like, exorcisms. And cool. uh, luckily, we didn't have to, like, watch any movies or anything. But we did have to, like, listen to things and, like, actual, like exorcisms being performed on people and people speaking in tongues and there was like a whole like there's like six things that had to happen or something like that for five things that had to happen in order for it to like truly be like a possession and like one of them was levitating and I was like shit (laughs) Uh, and I remember that um, that particular class when we were going to go over it Lane came to class with me because she was like oh I want to learn about that (laughs) (laughs) So she came to class with me, but yeah, that whole, I mean, that class was really interesting because it wasn't just like that, but we also learned about like cults. That's where I learned about like, um, the David Koresh and, um, Jonestown and all that sort of thing. Um, we learned about like, um, peyote, like people using drugs and like seeing things like there's a certain drug. I think it's peyote that like makes you see birds of prey which was really interesting (laughs) just a whole bunch of things yeah but that class was like super interesting well i find that fascinating um i don't remember you taking that but really uh, yeah i wish i did i'm pretty sure i still have my notebook somewhere i'm sure i do so I'll find it one day and be like, what the fuck? <laughs> All of this. It's just going to be like under your pillow tomorrow. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> it's hot. Come on now. Come on. <laughs> oh, am I scaring you? You freak me out. You know, Hi. yes. That's. 
creepy. I don't like that. Okay, so back to Bruce Springsteen. Um, The next album we'll touch on is Born in the USA, which is a very, very widely known cover. Super popular. Very popular album in general. It's a seventh studio album. It was released in 1984, which we've talked about. Like, that was a massive year for music. Like, I feel like that... That year has come up so many times. It's like, and then their huge hit album came out in 1984. And yeah. So, yeah. So, 1984, best year for music, apparently. Um, this is the one with the the big boss butt cover where it's like, you know, his jeans. And he, he has like a handkerchief or something hanging out the back, right? Yeah. It's a um, red handkerchief. Yeah. And I want to say that's taken by Annie Leibovitz. Le- Leibovitz? Yeah. You're right. I said it wrong. Yeah. Um, who is very well-known photographer and yeah so i think she's still taking pictures i want to say she just took the simone Bi- or not just but the simone biles book oh you know what the it's John not Lennon. a uh what yeah no i'm sorry it's not i was just looking at it it's a hat like a baseball cap oh not a okay okay yeah well i said it's like yeah, so that's... so familiar everyone knows it and i can't even like <laughs> accurately <laughs> describe and, it and um yeah i think it was his butt yeah Anywho, uh, um, yeah. the biggest hits are probably the two songs that most people know and assigned mm-hmm. to Bruce Springsteen. It's Born in the USA and Dancing in the Dark. And I think, so the yeah. story behind both of them, um, they're not super long stories, but Born in the USA is one of those songs that I think it's so funny to hear on like 4th of July or I think it's sometimes played at like political rallies when people aren't paying mm-hmm. attention to like making the playlist it is not a positive song like it's an upbeat song yeah. but it's was going to be called vietnam blues because mm. it's about it says like born down in a dead man's town and like you you end up like a dog that's been beat too much born in the u.s and it's it it's about then like someone puts a gun in his hand and sends him off to a foreign land and he's got a and it says like go kill the yellow man referring to the Vietnamese but it's just like nothing is great in this song like there's no you know positive aspects like to you know Americana culture or anything it's like um talking about going to jail too because I know a lot of Vietnam vets or um Saying Vietnam bits, yeah. but you know, um, ended up in prison um, for multitude of reasons, but um, yeah. p- probably a huge part due to like what the war did to them mentally and all that. And it's just well, like yeah. interesting to think of like when people play this song, depending on like the atmosphere. I'm like, I. It's one of those that I like to look around. Like, does anyone else think this is weird? I love the song. Mm-hmm. I, it's a great song, and it it's. Um, I think it was meant to be um, a point of like, it's going to be more serious lyrics, but with an upbeat tune that you're just going to want to be like loudly singing along to. And I think that was on purpose mm-hmm. to like contrast the lyrics. Um, yeah, because it was supposed to make a statement. Yeah. And so I just think it's funny to hear it in certain circumstances. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that. So. Yeah. Like pay attention to the words, which we definitely right. been guilty of especially oh yeah like for sure we've podcast. talked about that before like just singing the song and then after doing the podcast and like actually reading the lyrics you're like oh, oh. that's what i'm singing oh. that's funny it's not great <laughs> yeah so the other one um also a little bit um ironic but it's not in the same way is because the song dancing in the dark is about um him having like a writer's block and mm-hmm. he's in the lyrics he's talking about like you know he can't think of what to say he doesn't know what to say anymore and it came about because when he was making the album um one of the producers or the label was saying like i don't know if we have any like hit singles here and like we need something yeah it's missing and so he's like frustrated and supposedly there was like a physical altercation um about it like it got really heated and he ended up writing this song and it's like I get up in the evening, I got nothing to say, come home in the morning, I go to bed feeling the same way, and he's, like, bored, mm-hmm. and he's just, like, you can't start a fire, you can't start a fire without a spark, 
this gun's for hire, even if we're just dancing in the dark. And he's just like, you know, I'm trying to do it, but there's nothing coming and, you know, nothing. It's not going anywhere. And um, mm-hmm. th- this gun's for hire line is supposed to be like kind of his, he's not too happy about like being seen as like a hit maker or like not mm-hmm. not necessarily that he was like a true, true hit maker, but I mean like he doesn't want to be um, – work like, in hey, that we need, way we need yeah. you to write a, a hit right now like it doesn't feel like, as authentic to him and right right what's funny is it became one of his biggest songs so it's <laughs> it's his only so song ironic. to be certified platinum so it's it's just funny when that's very happens. ironic yeah yeah and and i do know this song because i remember a long time ago on mtv or vh1 mm-hmm. watching it and it was when my parents were watching friends so i was yeah you know and Courtney Cox is in the music video. And I remember being younger and being like, oh, my gosh, that's that's Monica. <laughs> I'm like, wow. And kind Monica. of freaking out. Um, and it wasn't like a surprise to my parents. But I was like, wow, that's really cool. Um, yeah, because that's where she got her start, right? I guess so. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And so the last album I wanted to touch on, um, and it's going to kind of lead into the next part, is Tunnel of Love. So that this album was released in 1987, and it was about the disappointment of his marriage that you kind of touched on earlier to Julianne Phillips. Mm-hmm. Um, they were married at this point, and I I know that they end up divorcing, and he goes off with Patty, but mm-hmm. my deep cut is from this album, and it has become one of my favorite songs. It's called mm-hmm. All That Heaven Will Allow, and it's such a good sweet song i am obsessed with it um i sent it to pedro and i was like i need you to listen to this and like pay attention to the words it's so good and mm-hmm. I, I feel bad because i just keep reading lyrics off <laughs> it's like my portion of well i mean that's we talked about like how he's very lyric driven so it makes sense yeah and it's so it's about him falling in love with someone and Patty's yeah (laughs) um Patty but it's just so sweet and again it's going back to like the you know working class idea where the second one the second verse is like hey there mister all I want to do is dance but I left I swear I left my wallet back home in my working pants come on slim slip me in man I'll make it up to you somehow I got a date um I, I can't be late with all that heaven will allow so the part that I love though is He's like, I want all the time, all that heaven will allow. And he's talking about like, he wants to fill his home with all the love, all that heaven will allow. And it's just like, ah, I love this song. And I'm not doing it justice because I'm like reading out of order because I'm excited. But it's such a good song. And I feel like if I had heard this song before, I might have asked Pedro like, what do you think about including this somewhere in our wedding playlist? Because I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, so that's my deep cut choice. It, obviously, it nice. did not work out for him with the woman he was married to at the time of the release, but he did find love. But I don't. So. Yeah, I was like, I think at that time they had already because Patty joined the band in like 1984. Yeah, and this was already and then released. This was 87. Yeah. They got married in like 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I do think that this album. And maybe specifically the song was about his kind of transition from, mm-hmm. uh, what was it, Julie, Julian to uh, mm-hmm. Patty. Mm-hmm. And like how he, he didn't find that love with his wife, but he's finding that love with Patty and he's wanting to, you know, pursue that, which they did and yeah. it worked out for them. Um, but my deep cut is from his first album, uh, his debut album, Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey. And mm-hmm. that was released in 1972, and it's called For You. And when I started listening to his first album, I was just like, okay, I'm going to start at the beginning, kind of like we do, just kind of go through the albums. I got to that song, and I was like, wait a minute. I know this <laughs> song. And I was like, how do I know this song? So I kept listening to it, and I figured out that... One of our very favorite bands, we have this in common, is that uh, is, they're called The Format. They're not together mm-hmm. anymore. But uh, it's Nate Roos and Sam Means. And they, and there's some, some other 
players in there, <laughs> but it's mainly those two. Um, and they actually covered this song for you on their B-Sides and Rarities album. And like, honestly, there's not a format album that you could play that Victoria and I and <laughs> our friend Jessica, like that we don't know the song. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, how do I know this song? And then I realized it was that. And I was like, so of course I had to go back and listen to it, listen to the formats version. And then I went into like, okay, well now I have to listen to the whole album because it's so good. <laughs> like mm-hmm. going into all of them. Um, I will say that I think because I heard the formats version before Bruce Springsteen, I, I like the formats version better. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to like go they, back and yeah, after you've heard well, one and also. To. I think because they're kind of paying tribute to it. So like they kind of like do it, they're trying to do it, you know, mm-hmm. make him, make him proud or do it proud, mm-hmm. do it right, whatever. But yeah, cause they start off and it starts off like it's pretty mellow and then it's the lyrics are growing and growing and then it kind of like gets into it like a full band cause it's kind of acoustic the first half and then like full band last half. And I, this just makes it this really cool dynamic for the song. And the song itself is really good. Um, and, you know, the Springsteen version obviously is really good, but it's just different. And I think having that prior, like yeah. having the format first is just kind of makes me biased toward it. But anyway, I, I was like, oh my gosh, that's absolutely a Bruce Springsteen cover that I had no idea. And I've known that song forever. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a good choice. Yeah. Good, good choice. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. All right. So. so our next little segment um, is just like interesting little tidbits about them. He has 20 Grammys, two Golden Globes, and an Academy Award um, for Springsteen on Broadway. Mm-hmm. He earned the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2016. He's ranked number 23 on Rolling Stone's Greatest Artists of All Times. I will say Rolling Stone, like anytime they have like these numbered lists, um, mm-hmm. I feel I give them so much credit because I'm always like, oh, Rolling Stone said it. Like, I think I mentioned it with like Eddie Van Halen, like is one of the, was he the number one oh, yeah. or like number two Rolling Stone Guitar said player. he was the, yeah. yeah. So I just like, <laughs> they have a lot of merit with me. So yeah. he is number 23 on Rolling Stone's greatest artist of all time. Um, it's pretty good. It's yeah. Pretty good. And the, I loved this little fact he got his nickname The Boss because he would collect the pay for the gigs and split it equally amongst all the band members. And yeah. most bands would split based on like contribution, you know, lead singer or like lead guitar. And then there's, you know, you know, the other members also. But he didn't even split. And so they gave him the nickname and it just stuck. And I think that's a really sweet little reason behind the nickname. So, yeah, and then I had read this, and I was like, oh, wow, this is interesting, too, is that he became the first music artist to make the covers of both Newsweek and Time magazine, which was, like, had obviously never happened before because he was the first, but they both came out in the same week. And so that, like, people, like, I don't know, I don't think that was planned. I think it just happened that way. And that kind of launched him into more stardom and popularity um, to make both of those in the same week and those being such huge magazines. Um, yeah. And like we talked about before, the way that he interacted with the crowds was like that of what you would see from like a preacher if you, you know, would go to one of those like big stadium churches and stuff. And it was just very much his live shows were spiritual experiences for the fans it wasn't just like i'm gonna go listen to music it's like a whole enveloping experience that you're attending Mm -hmm. and so i think that kind of sets him apart um kind of getting into the where are they now the current east street band lineup is steven van zant patty uh patty scalfa max weinberg gary talent Roy Bitten and Nils Lofgren. And they also have the featured musicians, including Susie Tyrell, which if that name sounds familiar, it's because <laughs> she was one of uh, the trio, the trickster trio with Patty. 
Um, and then Charles Giordano. Gio, Giordano? I don't know how to say his last name. But that's really cool. Um, Jake Clemens. And Jake Clemens is the nephew of Clarence Clemens, the mm. late saxophone player for the E Street Band. So I thought that was really cool that yeah. he, he got to be um, tour with them. Um, and then Bruce has authored a few books, including his autobiography, Born to Run, and a book called Renegades that he co-authored with Barack Obama. Um, and then I thought this was really cool, too. This is uh, Stephen Van Zant. I found out that he has his own radio show called Little Stephen's Underground Garage. <laughs> and so, I, of course, I Googled it. I went there, and it's, like, on Sirius XM, I think. Um, and you can – it's just, like, his – like really he plays like a known music like kind of not it's obviously not indie but it's like rock and roll that just not a lot of people know um and so he I guess he kind of gives artists like starting out um just kind of gives them a platform to to be heard mm-hmm. so that was really cool and I was like oh I'm definitely gonna have to t- check that out so it's um called Little Steven's Underground Garage. (laughs) And the band is still touring. And if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I would love to see Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band, they're going to be in Texas in February 2023. So check that out. Yeah. And so that brings us to our one hit wonder. Uh, And... I chose this song because we've talked about it for like a few episodes now. It's She's a Beauty by The Tubes. <laughs> and it was like the one where like, she's a beauty, she's one in a million, she's one in a million, yeah. <laughs> and so I love that song. I think I have a special place in my heart for that song because that was your ringtone <laughs> when I called you. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I always love that. Um, it was released in 1983 and it hit number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, something interesting about this is that David Foster wrote most of the music and, um, most people probably know him from his music, um, you know, his music and his, uh, contributions as a musician, but I know how you know him. (laughs) (laughs) He was married to uh, Yolanda Hadid, and she was Yolanda Foster for a while while she was on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and mm-hmm. that is how I know her, and <laughs> oh, know David Foster, I know that name, because mm-hmm. after that, I see him on the radio all the time. I'm like, oh, David Foster, David Foster, David Foster, and um, he's... It's so like Christmas time is coming up, and I always see him associated with Carol of the Bells. Mm. I'm like, oh, yeah, David Foster. Like, he did that. So um, he's the one that wrote most of the music, and he titled the song. Um, the lyrics were inspired by the lead singer. Uh, his name was Fee Way Bill. <laughs> it, was, it, it was, that's just a nickname. But um, so <laughs> this was about his time in the red light district in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like you put it like a peep show type thing. And so you put a dollar in and then you get to peep or whatever. And it's <laughs> like, he's like, why? Like, you're so beautiful. Like, why are you in there? And like, she's just doing her little spiel, like, come on in, honey. Like, come on. <laughs> and then it's like, for like another minute, put another dollar in. So he'd put another dollar in and be like, what? Like, you come be in one of my videos or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, or whatever it was at the time. And, um, you know, she's like totally not listening, listening to him or anything. But um, yeah, that's where the, the song inspiration came from and steve lukather or lukather i'm really bad with these names lukather um the guitarist from the band toto he also was a co-writer on the song Mm. and another throwback is that the music video was directed by kitty ortega and if Mm -hmm. that name sounds familiar it's because kitty ortega was the one that did that really crazy uh, Billy Squire video, um, Rock Me Tonight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it just like apparently killed Billy Squire's career, which eh, debatable. But um, <laughs> Kenny Ortega has been popping up all over for me too. Because he is the one that directed Hocus Pocus. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I didn't know that either. And now I saw his name pop up. I was like, oh, shit. I know who that is. <laughs> I know Kenny Ortega. And then High School Musical. And most recently, my kids finally got into, I say finally, but I think they're just behind the times, got into The Descendants. Yeah. And he also did those, Descendants. And yep. we were talking about this in the Zeppelin episode mm-hmm. Because I finally have seen those shows now, the movies. And in the third one, you're right. There's an, a little musical number that they do where they're like, like clearly ah. call back to Led Zeppelin. Yeah. It's very, yeah. And they don't, yeah, obviously they don't see the lyrics or anything, but it's very uh, immigrant song. Like, yeah. Very obvious. And I was like, oh, that's what Victoria was talking about. Now yeah. I know. Well, now I know you didn't look at the show notes because I included the link to that, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) I wouldn't have known anyway. You know, I had to go on Google because this whole, the whole premise of The Descendants is that you're watching like the kids of the Disney characters. The Disney villains, yeah. And then the good guys. Yeah, so like the the good guys and the villains. They're Mm -hmm. all like mixed in together and it's their kids interacting and so... Mm -hmm. My my kids would be watching. and They were like, "Who's that?" And I'm like, "I don't I don't know." Okay, mm-hmm. so that's Carlos. And then I'd have to yeah. Google Carlos, and he's Cruella Deville's son. Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Okay, well that's Cruella Deville's son." Well, who's Cruella Deville? I'm like, "Well, you've seen 101 Dalmatians." Okay, and then um, like I, I don't know the king guy Ben. He's Bell and the Beast's yeah. son. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like all over. And then apparently Maleficent and Hades got together. Yeah. Like, yeah. Where's that in the movies? I don't know. But, um, yeah, Mila yeah, was so. obsessed. We still watch it pretty often. Like, it's probably on yeah. like at least once a month, just like at least in the background. But yeah, that right. was Mila's Halloween costume last year and her birthday theme was like, uh, she loved. Who was she? She was Mal. We like sprayed uh, her hair blue. She had like the little fingerless gloves. And like the whole thing. All the evil kids, all like the bad villain kids have the fingerless gloves. That's how you know they're the the villain kids. (laughs) But they're not bad. They're actually good. So, yeah. It's it's cute and it's just a nice change from freaking zombies. I feel like I've been watching so much zombies. Um, Mm -hmm. My kids have been into that movie and I'm like, okay, I'm done. And Kenny Ortega probably did zombies too. I don't know. They're all kind of the same, but um, <laughs> like I'm just tired of watching the same thing over and over again. So it's a nice little change. So, anywho, that is uh, what we've got for Bruce Springsteen. Did you have anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? Go listen to the albums and read the lyrics as you're listening. If you're yeah anything like me, but if not, just at least go listen to the albums because they're incredible. And also check out uh, the cover version of For You by The Format and see what you think about that. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. See if you like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And if you like it, (laughs) then listen to the whole album because there's so many songs that are so good. One of my favorite songs on there is Seven Digit Pin Code, (gasps) which I've I've tried to, I think I know what it's about. Yeah. Yeah, I've tried to understand, but I'm like, man, it's just like such a dark it's another dark one um where like he's he's the one that was murdered (laughs) so i guess it's a murder ballad but it's like from his point of view and he's like not a good a good person so yeah it's interesting but anyway uh good song and good music uh just go check them out if you want to hear something new okay until next time Mm -hmm. rock out and ramble on (laughs) 